and welcome to Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Wendy Forsyth, Chief Strategy Officer here at Fathom Realty and Fathom Holdings. And I am so excited for our show today. We have a tremendous guest that has amazing real estate industry knowledge and does so much to share that knowledge with Fathom agents and and agents in general, just the, the real estate community. So I'm very excited to welcome Sherry Rios to Real Estate Stories. Sherry, welcome. Thank you, Wendy. Happy to be here. Well, we are so glad that you're here. And let's kick things off with asking you to share your real estate story with us. Sure. So I have quite an interesting background, I would say. Um, I started in education or insurance and then education. I was a teacher, middle school teacher for a while, did education consulting, but I've always had an interest in real estate. Mm -hmm. And so when our company had a little bit of a down, I guess, downturn change, um, I decided to pursue my real estate license. So I did that. It's been about 10 years ago. And then I put it on hold for a little bit because the market was a little weird back then. Uh, Not the the best time to get into real estate, Um, but I moved back into education for a while. And then I actually got even more crazy and decided to apply for law school and wanted to do something, wanted to work while I was in law school because I've always worked. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go ahead and uh, pursue real estate full-time get that up and running prior to law school starting and did that joined Fathom in May of 2016. So almost six years ago, Um, did real estate the entire time I was in law school, grew my business. Don't, don't ask me how I did that, but I did. Um, And then fast forward uh, post law school. And I will be honest, I had no intention of getting into real estate law, Um, but sometimes the best laid plans. Uh, So I uh, started with in-house with a title company post-law school, worked there, taught classes, and then moved to another title company as in-house counsel and actually directed their education program where I wrote CE classes and taught um, and also did all of the in-house counsel fund things for any legal issues in conveying property. Wow, such a great background. And most recently, you just were promoted within Fathom to be our state broker for the state of Texas. Yes. So congratulations on that. We are so lucky to have you know your background as an agent, the background in title as a lawyer. Like you couldn't have you know custom road a better fit as a state broker in today's world. So we're very fortunate to have you as part of the team. Thank you. I'm excited as well. It's a, it, it is a good combination with everything that you have to deal with at that level, just to, to have those backgrounds coming together. Um, as I'm quickly, uh, very quickly seeing, <laughs> that's a good combination to have. That's right. So share with our, our listeners, like what does a state broker do? Like what's kind of a typical day now that you've sort of moved into this role from sort of sales and title background. What are some of the the things you end up doing now? Sure. So I will add to my resume after this professional juggler, because I feel like (laughs) that is the state broker's role. But to be honest, the uh, state broker really compliance is, I would say, the biggest thing for the state broker, um, which is good because I'm 
very much. That's I love compliance. I know that's weird, but I do. Um, and so compliance, keeping us as one of our fearless leaders says, keeping us out of real estate jail, mm-hmm. uh, just making sure to manage. And I, um, although I've only been the state broker named for a little bit, uh, I just, with my education background, I'm an educator at heart. And so for me as the state broker, compliance encompasses a lot of things, but I also believe that it's my job to ensure that our agents are well-educated, they're uh, up to date on changes, uh, focusing on contracts, making sure we know our contracts, making sure we know what it what the contracts allow, what the contracts don't allow, um, really keeping us in front of those uh, in front of those things providing clarity but as the state broker um like i said compliance is the big thing but also helping our agents supporting our agents advocating for our agents and for our clients um when disputes happen which is what i've been dealing with a lot Um, obviously when it gets to the broker there's people that are unhappy on both sides and so making sure we remember our fiduciary duty Um, making sure that as a brokerage that we are looking out and um, having our agents backs um, and then keeping that at the forefront while also ensuring that we can hopefully reach an amicable solution for everyone. That's great. And that advocacy role is so important. And and maybe at another uh, another episode, we'll ask you to share some stories, but uh, we won't ask you to do that right now. Some of the crazy things. But uh, I do know there's a lot of crazy things that that goes on. One of the things that you do to help keep our agents educated around all of the changes, whether it's contract changes or NAR changes or just observing, you know, situational things that are, are going on is something that you call broker bites. So tell us a little bit about broker bites. Sure. And I don't know where I came up with that, but it's pretty creative. It is um, it's, bro- <laughs> it's broker bites, B-Y-T-E-S. So bite of information. And as an educator of middle schoolers, um, I learned very quickly that First of all, there's tons of different learning styles. So not everybody likes to read an email, read a post, and they just won't if they're super long. Um, And we have so much that we're responsible for knowing and remembering. Um, And even if we learned it or did it three years ago, it doesn't mean, you know, we may never see that for another three years. Mm -hmm. So what I decided to do is based on a lot of conversations um, that I see on masterminds or the legal one, legal two update that are coming up, topics there, just wherever I see a lot of what I call noise or conversation, um, I just created what's called a broker bite and I jump on and I do a quick, some of them are a little longer, but I try to stay about three minutes, um, Mm -hmm. a a video, just highlighting a quick topic. Um, That way agents can watch it. They can save it. I pin it to our page and it's, I just call it a little nugget of education, just quick in, get it. um, And then Um, I just keep doing those and they've kind of taken off. I have people texting me. I have another topic for a broker bite. Um, So it's been well received, which is which is good. That's great. Well, you do a great job at them. And yeah, it is. So it's so so easy to digest that little bite size, three minutes or less kind of best practice or observation. So uh, I think that's a great initiative that that you do for for our agents. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about some of the hot topics that are happening in our business right now. And I want to kick it off with open houses. 
you know, when I think back during COVID, so say like two years ago, um, I really like personally, I wondered if open houses would ever make a comeback once we got past COVID. I kind of had conversations with people like, is this, is this the end of open houses? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not the end of open houses. Mm -hmm. Open houses are, you know, going strong out there, you know, in the marketplace what are you seeing in in sort of the greater Texas area, which is such an enormous market happening with agents and open houses? Sure. So as I'm sure most places in our wonderful uh, country, it's a hot market. It's a, definitely a good time to be a seller. And open houses are crazy. So just managing open houses right now is a big just the management side of it, because you have so many people coming in and out. Um, but one of our awesome agents, uh, his name's Dylan King, shout out. Um, he gave some um, information a couple of weeks ago from an open house that he did and really some good tips. And we're actually offering a class on that this week because of the reception that was received. And some of the wonderful tips that he gave um, were things I had not thought of before, but um, one that stands out in my mind, and I will do this for every open house in the future, is he said, bring a wireless speaker, Bluetooth speaker, and play some pleasant music on your phone mm -hmm. coming through the speaker. And I thought, that's pretty genius because when we go to stores, they always have music playing. They want you to feel comfortable. They want you to feel at ease. They want you to feel at home. So that was one of the really good tips. Um, the other good tip that he gave was instead of having the visitors, um, instead of relying on them to sign in on the sign in sheet, mm -hmm. he said he does that. So that it, he, uh, his reasoning for that was people are less likely to be deceptive or give you wrong information if you're the one filling it out. Yes. Um, but I should have started this by saying prior to the open house, marketing is a huge, um, a huge push for the open house. So he actually door knocks, goes to the neighbors, makes them feel they're exclusive. Um, because even though neighbors tend to be looky-loos and they just want to see what that house looks like, you never know. They might know someone who's looking. Yes. Um, but that actually, for that for him, that parlayed into one of the neighbors coming in um, to the open house and letting him have their listing. Yes. Um, and then he had two pre-qualified buyers and we're talking in the $800,000 range. So a lot of the pre-marketing, um, making sure you're uh, blasting that and getting visitors to your open houses. And even though right now, um, you know, you get people because the, the market's a little crazy, making your open house stand out um, as a realtor, you're not just there looking for unrepresented buyers and leads, but now that unrepresented buyer or seller is looking at you thinking, wow, they really went above and beyond. They really did way more than I've ever seen at any other open house. And so some of those little things, he recommends bringing a tote bag of cleaning supplies and toilet paper mm -hmm. because you, you don't know um, if it's not your listing, you don't know what the, you know, what you may be walking into, but wow. really good. Um, I really liked because I'm a, a little bit of a stickler. I don't really like having messy food. So cupcakes, mm -hmm. these, I, I don't really want people eating that stuff as they're walking through the home. So he recommends bringing hard candy. Yes. Good so tips. good, good little nuggets of, yes. of tips um, and very successful uh, ways to just make you stand out from the the rest. Because a lot of people that I'm seeing that are coming to open houses have been to five that day. 
Yeah, exactly. And and that is, I mean, that is what we're seeing is that, you know, buyers and sellers, to your point, are actively going out to open houses. So we have such an opportunity when hosting an open house to really make a wonderful first impression to, you know, convert clients right away, but also to build our database of clients down the road. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the tips that that you just shared, there's some great ones there. So the pre-marketing, I love the, you know, neighbor open house, that sort of half hour before your open house starts, pre-marketing to invite the neighbors to come in and sort of preview the house. I think that works really well. Um, I also am a big fan of open house checklists. Yes. So a number of the tips that you just shared about have candy, have your sign-in sheet, where is your signage? How are you marketing it beforehand? That can be a checklist that every time you do an open house, you don't have to remember it from memory. You can just go through that checklist to make sure that you're organizing your open house to be most impactful. Agree. I'm a big fan of checklists too. <laughs> yes, those operate. I mean, I know we both talk to agents a lot. And I mean, that's one of the things that and we both share with them is like, don't keep doing your business from memory, operationalize your business and get those systems in place. It will save you time. It will save you a lot of frustration and it will allow you to, to help take your business to that next level. So I guess that open houses are here to stay. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think they are. I think I, I shared this um, when Sherry and I were talking on our sort of prep call I actually went out recently and secret shopped a, a number of open houses, which is something that that I do regularly and, and not fathom agents, but just agents in general in, in my home market. And I was absolutely shocked that I went to four different open houses on a Sunday afternoon. Not one agent had a sign in sheet. Not one agent gave me a flyer or any information on the house. Not one agent asked me my name or any qualification questions. And not one agent even gave me their card. And I was just floored. So, you know, agents, if you're listening or watching this, if you're going to do it, do it well, right? If you're spending your time to be at an open house and if you are representing those sellers there, do the right things. It, it's really important, not only for your business, but for your safety. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these open houses that I went to had multiple people walking through them and there was, you know, no, nothing happening to, to try to ensure to those sellers that we were looking after, you know, their home as, as the agents doing those open houses. I agree 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, open houses are here to stay. So we can do a whole other podcast on open house tips, but thank you for sharing um, the ones that you did on that. Let's switch topics. Let's talk about love letters, because this has been a hot topic coming right down from the National Association of Realtors into all of our local markets. Um, I'm going to ask you, like, let's let's just level set the field of what a lo love letter is. And then what advice do you share with agents on the use of love letters? Yes. So a love letter is a letter that a potential buyer writes to the sellers to try to persuade the seller to, to accept their offer. 
And obviously in the market that we're in with multiple offers on almost every property, um, they're trying to find any buyers are trying to find any edge that they can find to, and they're really meant to pull on the seller's heartstrings. They're not meant for, you know, I have the best terms of my offer. It's meant to get the emotional side of the seller and try to just give a leg up. So that's what a love letter is. The problem that National Association of Realtors um, quickly <laughs> jumped on because of the, the market being they're so prevalent is love letters can violate fair housing laws. Okay. Um, when and just to just to again for the playing field, level of playing field. So the Fair Housing Authority, the law protects discrimination against race, religion, national origin sex, including gender, gender identification and orientation, familial status and disability. Okay. So let's give an example of a love letter. Oh, dear seller, um, we love your home. We love all of these things about your home. Okay, great. And then they say, I cannot wait for my family to sit around the fireplace at Christmas and, you know, enjoy our first Christmas here. Okay, where's the problem here? Well, the problem is you just said your familial status. Okay. And you also could have indicated religion, Christmas, you celebrate Christmas. Um, other things, what if someone were to say, I really love the fact that you have wide doorways because I'm in a wheelchair. Well, now disability. So the thing about love letters and um, really the tips, is you have to be very careful um, in that you don't violate those laws or that the seller, as a listing agent, that the seller's decision to accept an offer or not accept an offer is based on objective terms of the contract and not um, can any way be seen as, oh, well, you know, I want a family that has kids to come. You know, we hear that as listing agents. Oh, I want someone right. to get the house who has kids. And so we as listing agents and buyer's agents have to be super careful. Um, number one, as a buyer's agent, we if our if our client says, can I write a letter? Mm -hmm. We need to make sure we educate them. You can write a letter, but it has you can't have these things really say what you love about the home. You know, say that you're moving to the area. You love the home um, and features of the home, not anything that violates. Um, as a listing agent, you also have to be super cautious because if you receive those and then you share those with your client, you could be in trouble. Um, so some tips from the National Association of Realtor, just other bloggers that have written about this. Um, they and I educate my clients, my seller clients on this as from the beginning, when you even when you're listing their house, let them know we're going to be getting these. I cannot share these. It would be a violation. So making that very clear okay. um, and then making it clear in MLS, we won't be accepting these if they violate those laws. Wow. So if I'm a listing agent and I get a love letter um, along with an offer and I'm not sure if it violates anything, um, did I hear you say that just I shouldn't present it to my sellers. Um, I, you, if you're not sure, you have great leadership in place um, to ask. So okay. I would definitely recommend go to your district director um, and then engage your state broker if needed, um, just so that everybody's on the same page. But if it's a clear violation, if they say, I'm a single mom and I've been looking for a house for six months and this is my house, I want this house. 
that's a clear violation. And we just need to protect ourselves and protect our clients. And then the National Association of Realtors also, uh, one of their bloggers recommended that the listing agent should list all of the offers that they receive mm -hmm. and then note the seller's objective reasoning for accepting or rejecting the offer and keeping that as documentation. And that's really good for us just for protection as well. That is really good. And, and that does kind of pivot into a related topic around dealing with multiple offers. So we oftentimes talk about being on the buyer side of that, representing buyers, but you just gave a tip on representing the seller and being the listing agent, which I find doesn't get a lot of um, airtime. Right. <laughs> best practices. So, so when you are the listing agent and you're getting multiple offers, um, what are some of the best practices that you're recommending from that perspective? The biggest uh, recommendation I have is to create a spreadsheet, mm -hmm. first and foremost. And I know a lot of agents do this, and it's a spreadsheet that outlines the terms of each offer. If you have, I know someone here locally that got 51 offers on the property, 51. Gosh. There is absolutely no way to manage that without killing 50 tree, you know, 50 tree, a tree and offer. Yeah. Um, so they create, and plus that's overwhelming for buyers. Yes. Um, but the way to, the way that I've seen the most effective is create a spreadsheet mm -hmm. and uh, along the top of your tabs along the top, you have all of the terms, option period, earnest fee, you know, what kind of financing they have, how many, just all of the terms, third party financing. And then in the section, I always note, are they asking for furniture? You know, any other thing that doesn't fit within those terms. And then you're able to take that spreadsheet, sit down with your, your sellers and you go through it and you're looking at terms, not anything else. And, you're, and that could be used as your objective data, right, to show that you um, submitted all of the offers to the, to the agent, uh, to your seller. And I also recommend on that not to even put buyer's names, but to put the agent's name who submitted the offer, because then you don't even have to worry about uh, violating something because of someone's name, um, you know, in, in going down that path. Right. So having a, a spreadsheet, that's an easy way to present it to your sellers. They can look at everything, compare, compare it right there on that sheet. Um, and then another thing that I do on my listings is I do an offer guidelines sheet. Okay. Um, I know buyers agents are crazy right now. I also represent buyers, but it's when they're out showing five or six houses and then they have to hurry up and get a deadline, you know, meet a deadline and they're trying to pull everything together Yes, our MLS systems have pretty much all the information they need right there, but I've found it helpful to give an offer guideline sheet that pulls everything together. Um, it tells the seller's preferences, and I want to emphasize that um, you should never in your offer guidelines provide a requirement that would take away a buyer's right. Okay. So, so for example, um, seller requires no option period. Seller requires, well, that's crossing the line of, of changing the contract okay. um, and that's practicing law. So you yeah. have to be careful. So seller prefers no more than a three-day option period. Seller prefers a three-day lease back, something like that. Um, and then I always, on that offer guideline, I provide my buyers, if there are any exclusions, the full seller's names, I say, you know, if there's a survey or not, like I said, all of this is usually in MLS, but they're running crazy. 
So if they have everything on one little sheet that they can print off, it's it just has made my life easier as a listing agent too, not having to go back and ask for them to fill in blanks. Yeah. Yeah. Some great tips there. And it is tough. It is tough out there being on the buy side. It's tough out there being on the listing side. So one last question, one last question for you in closing then. Sure. If we had the crystal ball, what do you think the market's going to look like for the next 12 months? Is it going to be more of the same or how do you think it might be changing? Um, predictions show we're going to be more of the same in terms of inventory, lack of inventory. We have not near caught up with inventory. However, the interest rates are going up. And so you have um, a little bit of a, a breather. And, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, obviously with interest rates going up, you're going to have um, less buyers that potentially out there because with the super, super low interest rates, they you had buyers that you had a lot of buyers because they could afford those price points. But if, if buyers were at the tip top of their, you know, tip top of what they could afford and they were at the lower price point, um, increasing those interest rates are going to knock a lot of them out. So we may see a little bit of balance in terms of not getting 51 offers, but you still probably will get five or 10. Um, but in, inventory is not expected to catch up in that period of time. So I still think we're going to see a very busy seller's market for the foreseeable future. It is. So if, if you're listening, like work those listings. Yes. Um, we need those listings. So thank you so much, Sherry, for all mm -hmm. your insights and advice. I, I could talk to you for hours about this <laughs> stuff. So we'll have to have you back for some more hot topics soon. If somebody's looking to reach out to you, what's the best way to contact you? The best way is my email. It's S-R-I-O-S, -S, so srios at fathomrealty.com. All right. That sounds great. Thank you so much for sharing your real estate story. Listeners, if you've got a great real estate story that you would like to share with us, please reach out. We'd love to have you as a guest as well. Thanks, Wendy.